Good morning. How are you guys doing this morning? So my backyard has got this low point that a couple weeks ago became Lake Mueller, okay? And I was really excited when last week on Thursday it heated up enough that Lake Mueller has drained. So I was really excited because before that I thought we were going to have a lake in our backyard and my kids really wanted to play in it and I was like, that's gross. Because I think it's where our septic tank is, kind of it's close to that. So I was like, no. Well, enough of that this morning. I'm John Mueller. I'm the lead pastor here at Sunlight Community Church. We're glad you're here with us this morning. We're really excited to be continuing the series on ministry partnership and what it means to partner together in ministry. And so if you want to follow along and you have the Bible app on your phone, um, it's commonly called Version. If you click on the right-hand side of the homepage and then you click on events, we have notes in there and some announcements and things like that so you can follow along through there. We are today... In what week of this series? Can someone shout out what week we're in? Someone said it. Three, three. See, it's okay. It's okay. Three. We're in the third week. Philippians chapter four, verses 10 through 20 is what we're going to cover this morning. Happens to be what I had this huge notebook for in seminary. So I tried to uh, not... Just go too deep in this area because I have 180 pages on this passage. So that I just different notes that I'd written over time. So I was like, okay, I got to figure out how to make that like six pages of notes. So, so what you're getting today is the 30,000 foot view because there's a lot of cool things in this passage that I really love. It's one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible. So before we get started, I need to ask you one thing. Pastor Aaron just talked about it earlier. Ministry partner class. And maybe you've attended Sunlight for two months, three months, six months, nine months, and you don't even, you're like, what's this ministry partner thing? This is the class you need to go to. This is the next step. And maybe you're like, I'm not ready to take the next step. There's no requirement once you go. It's like a free meal and your kids get watched. That's like a date, okay? Let's be honest. (laughs) So you want to go. We gave two opportunities. And so if you're not, if 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 you're like not sure if you're a ministry partner, it's a good thing to go. And if you're not a ministry partner and you're, you're clearly not, then go to that. That's a great opportunity, lunch and childcare. Trust me, when you have young kids, this is like the best thing we can do for you, okay? So it's a great opportunity to part, take that next step to partner with us and join the family. I mean, we're a family here. That's what's really important. Sometimes we miss the fact that the, the, the church is the family of God. And so... That's a great opportunity to do that. So sign up for that today. We need to know because it's the 24th and 31st, the next two weeks. Like Pastor Aaron said, you don't need to go to both weeks. You just need to go to one. So sign up for one. So let me pray as we get started as we go through Philippians chapter 4. Heavenly Father, we come before you now and we, we ask of you this morning that your Holy Spirit would move in this room, that we would, we would leave here convicted and transformed because, God, we know that without you, we are nothing. With you, we, we have infinite resources, infinite things that you've given to us, different gifts. And uh, Lord, we pray this morning, though, that you would make it clear to each one of us that Jesus is the true standard of living in our life. That everything else may pass away. We can't take with us for eternity. But Jesus is that standard of living. Lord, we pray also that as we partner together in ministry, the things that that Paul talks about in Philippians 4 would be true of us 
as a church, out in the community, every single day that we're not even at church on Sunday mornings, that it would be true of us. Lord, help us to, to partner together and share resources for your glory and for your kingdom because that's the best reason to share together. We say all this in Jesus' name, amen. So I don't know about you, but every day I wake up and I see marketing. So marketing is always telling me you watch a commercial, you open your phone, there's ads in your phone, Facebook's got ads, there's Google ads, there's all these ads. It's telling us we need more. And so it identifies a few things that we need more. Marketing is always about more, because if it wasn't about more, you wouldn't buy their product. And so, so you want more love. You want more value. You want to be valued. So you deserve to go to the spa, right? You deserve this. You deserve, you want more power, well, if you drive a Corvette, people are going to look at you like you're a cool guy. So the, the more luxury. Has anyone ever seen those Lincoln commercials? Oh, yeah. I see some heads nodding. If you haven't seen them, now you're going to go Google it after service. But, man, you're cool if you drive a Lincoln. So it, the, you need the latest product. Try this new food item. Watch the latest show. And if you don't, you have FOMO. And if you don't know what FOMO is, I will tell you in a second, but ask the person next to you that's younger than you, because FOMO is something that they all struggle with. So fear of missing out, FOMO. So if I don't get this, I won't be the coolest kid. You see it with marketing with teenagers. You have to wear this clothing type, because then you'll be cool. You have to drive this car if you live in this community. So you, it, you, in reality, we lose nothing by not having more. In fact, we lose something many times when we buy into that marketing and we forget about what we're supposed to be focused on because we lose focus on what God has already provided us. We lose focus on, on, on what we do have and we focus on what we don't have. Have you guys, I mean, let's just think about this. There's a whole show based on nothing, the Kardashians. All we're doing is watching rich people do rich people things. I mean, it's It's dumb. If there's nothing, if there's, guys are like, hee, 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 and wives are like, oh, don't diss the Kardashian. I'm like, it's, there's nothing there. <laughs> Let's be honest. They go to the coffee shop and talk about someone else, and they gossip, and they do this. There's nothing there. But all we're doing is because we're focused on what we don't have. You know, don't we all have a dream car? Anyone have a dream car that they've thought of? I have a, I have a dream car. I'm gonna, my wife's not in here right now, so I'll tell her dream car. No, I'm kidding. She's got a dream car that we will never have because her bar is way higher than mine. So you, you get focused on things that are not God's provision. You become selfish. You become focused on what you don't have rather than what you do have. And the next thing that happens is this spirit of discontentment in your life. And the devil's already won. So when you are listening to all this all day long and you go, I need this. I need that. Isn't that, I mean, isn't that the goal of every commercial? I need this. I want to spend $1,000 on a cell phone game because I need it. I'm rolling my eyes. That's not realistic. So if your teenager ever says that, that's, no, it's not realistic. We forget the promise that God's given us in his word, that our spiritual needs will be met and that Jesus is more than enough for that. We, we lose sight of, of what God has already given us and we look at what he hasn't given us. 
And we don't wonder, maybe the God of infinite wisdom didn't give us that because we don't need it. And maybe because if we had it, we'd squander it. Or maybe, there's so many different, I mean, I can go a bunch of maybes here. And so we forget the promise that God's given us. And God's going to use Paul this morning in Philippians chapter 4 to help us see God's promises fulfilled through ministry partnerships. We can't lose sight of the fact that we can't do it alone. If you ever coached a team, you realize that you have to have a team. You can't have one good player and ten really bummer players. You have to have a team. They have to work together. You can have the best person in the world at what they do and still miss out. So let's read. Starting, Turn with me to Philippians 4, verse 10. Philippians is in Gentiles eat pork chops. That's how I remember. So anyone, Gentiles eat pork chops? Okay, all right. You guys will remember that now. Philippians, Gentiles eat pork chops. Yeah, okay. Um, some, of you, some of you caught that and some of you trickled in afterwards. Sorry, some people are a little late to that. But Gentiles do eat pork chops. Um, we're Gentiles, so I definitely eat pork chops. Starting in verse 10, so I will tell you in this passage is one of the often, the most quoted verses in the entire Bible. It's one of the most searched for verses in the entire Bible on Google. It is one of the verses that is quoted in so many different ways, but when you look in the context of Scripture, it means one thing, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Starting in verse 10, and we'll go through verse 13. It says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You are indeed concerned for me. This is Paul speaking. But I had no opportunity, not, having, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul partnered with the church in Philippi. They, they were the Philippians. That's what it was written to. They were concerned for him at a point and now had revived their concerns. So they were concerned, but they had no opportunity to help him in his ministry at the current time, but they had in the past. And Paul is not really asking for more at this point. He's saying, I've learned the key to being content. I've learned the key. We go through every day. Did you know every time you grumble, you're not content? That's a lot. I catch myself all the time not being content. All the time. Well, they made my order wrong at the restaurant. My wife leaves the, that moment because I'm going to get the manager, right? And I'm like, oh, well, they did this, or they didn't cook my meat enough, or whatever it is. I'm not content with what was laid before me. Think about it. I'm not saying that we shouldn't send the food back if you're going to get sick, but Paul's learned the key to being content because he has learned that he can be content in any situation. He says any. He doesn't say some. He doesn't say all or a few. He says any and so contentment is even harder in our consumer culture. Our American culture says you need something more than you have, and if you don't have something more than you have, you won't be content. There's been many studies done on this. And you know what the, the, the kind of the, the point where people become more content nationally is when someone, an individual, has an income of above $75,000. They become more content. 
But guess what? It's not like this, this um, exponential curve where all of a sudden everyone's content. It's actually more like this. It just kind of like stays. It's very stagnant. So really, no one's content because we've created this culture of consumerism. And Paul, Paul says something here that is so applicable to our lives. He says, I've known what it means to be rich, and I know what it means to be poor. So his message is for everybody. You can't say, oh, well, I'm rich or I'm poor, I'm content, I'm not. It's for everybody. In any circumstances, he's content. He says, even if I don't have food, I'm content. When, even when I have needs, I'm going to be content. So I have a question. If we say that we're going to be content, we have to ask this. If we were hungry, would we be content? If you skipped a meal because you had to. If we, if we had basic needs that weren't met, would we be content? Our basic physical needs. And then Paul says he's got a secret. What is this secret that he's referring to about having or not having? What is the secret? And what follows is one of the verses that's commonly taken out of context. Every sports team I ever was on, we always quoted this. So coaches, teachers, you, you always quote this verse. It's just the verse that you quote. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And, and Paul is directly referring to Jesus. He, he, he is quoted, it's commonly quoted to refer to winning something. I can do all things through him who strengthens me so I can win this game. But the reality is, it's I can do all things through him who strengthens me so when I lose, I still have my head held high because I knew I gave it my all. That's a huge difference. The intended meaning is about contentment. It's one of the hardest things that we are going to deal with in this life. Because we're not. If we're honest with ourselves, it's really a struggle every single day. The whole entire American culture is built on not being content. We cannot be content with what we are. That drives our economy. That drives everything that we do. We're not content. We watch TV shows, and I find it interesting. I don't think I've watched a TV show in years that actually describes what my life is like. Because guess what? Our lives are kind of boring. We go and do things. We go to the grocery store. What do they do? They go to the grocery store and rob it. I mean, that's like, it, it's got to be, it's got to be hyped up or something. There's got to be something crazy. We want more action, more possessions, more drama, more, 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 more. And if you guys don't feel that, just watch TV for a couple hours. You want more. Watch commercials. There was a study done in 2007 that I am blown away by because this is in 2007. This is 12 years ago. A study done that the average American sees 5,000 ads a day. 5,000 ads. Think about this. One second. One second. One second. You drive down Wayne Street and you got billboards, right? There's billboards. You got your cell phone. Every single game that is on a cell phone now, there's an ad version and a paid version pretty much. And so you have ads constantly bombarding you every few seconds. You turn on your computer, you go to Google, you Google something, there's four ads right there. There's ads everywhere. And I can only imagine that that has gone up in the past 12 years. Because people are vying for the resources that God's given you. Last week we talked about something very specific. That ministry partners make personal sacrifices. As a ministry partner, the enemy of personal sacrifice is not having contentment. Think about that. If we are going to be ministry partners that give personally, that have personal sacrifice, and we want to follow Jesus, 
The enemy of that is, is, is a lack of contentment. So, so really, you have to ask yourself some questions. Is Jesus enough in your life? If I walk outside and someone, like, burned down my car, which I don't think will happen, hopefully. No one's got any napalm, right? Okay, all right. And I lose my car, am I going to be content because I knew that God somehow wanted my car to blow up? What, it, what, it, what is that, that, that thing? Is he all you need to be content? Is there nothing more? And so to ministry partners, this, is, this has got to be very clear. To ministry partners, Jesus is your true standard of living. He is the standard of living. There's nothing else that can compare to that. You can get all the things in the entire world, and there's still someone that has more money, more power, that has something more than you that you can never measure up to. Why does Jeff Bezos, the, the CEO of, of Amazon, want more money? Because there's always going to be something more. Why? So what is your current standard of living? That's the question. You know, when you get married, one of the things you, you should talk with your spouse about, what is the standard of living that you expect? You know, more marriages break up about, they say about money, but I really think the core of the issue is, this is what I grew up with, so this is what I want. You don't see a lot of people that are like rich that say they want to be poor, right? It doesn't make any sense. And so what's your standard of living? The lake house. We live in a lake community. Maybe your standard of living is we have to live in a lake house, but we really can't afford it. Or maybe it's retiring comfortably. And many people say that the millennial generation, my generation, we're not going to retire comfortably. We're going to keep working because there's no way to retire comfortably. Maybe it's vacations. You need to go on this vacation. Anyone ever go on Instagram or Facebook and go, wow, seems like a lot of people are doing some really fun stuff and I'm just sitting here working my job. I've got a week of vacation a year and I'm not doing anything. Maybe it's vacations. Maybe it's the car you always wanted. Maybe it's the dream house. Maybe you dream about this house and you're saved up money for 30 years to get this dream house that you're going to live in for 15 and then you're going to pass from this life to the next and you're going to be with Jesus and Jesus is going to go, why did you ever want that? You didn't need it. Maybe it's the promotion. Maybe you want a promotion. Maybe it's you've been striving so hard to get this promotion and then once you get it, guess what? You want what? More. And that's the problem with contentment is being content is saying where you're at, what God's provided, doesn't mean you don't get more. It just means you don't have to, your desire for more is less than your desire for Jesus Christ. Jesus is the true standard of living. In your life, these things fade to the background. If that's the true standard of living, not that God won't give you those things, but they do not determine your contentment. Any circumstances, Paul says, means anything. So I have a confession to make. Can I make a confession? Say yes, please. Come on. Okay. I have a confession to make. I had a pattern in my life for years that I would, I would do something as a result. If I wasn't feeling good about something or content about something, I'd go buy something. Women call this retail therapy. I don't, I've never heard a guy say that, so just sorry, guys, if, if you feel left out there. I'd go buy something, and it'd be something as simple as like buying ice cream when I didn't even have a meal to have the ice cream with. It wasn't like, it was like three in the afternoon, I'm gonna go buy some ice cream. Because I don't feel good about this, I'm nervous. I need more, I need something. When we pursue things from a lack of contentment, what we're doing in our worship is telling Jesus he's not enough. He's not enough. I'm not, I'm not saying that you don't provide for your family. I'm just saying like, sometimes it's just like, you buy things to buy things. 
I, got, I mean, I have three kids. They do not need any more toys. So if anyone wants to gift me something, not toys, okay? We're going to get rid of toys. Like, like, we don't need that. Yet every time you walk in the store, where's the first place the kids run to? The toy section. And then they go, but dad, I want this. You have four lightsabers, son, and you're three. No more. People keep handing these things to you, and you keep hitting people with them. Stop. You don't need them. <laughs> more. Our whole culture is more. And so ministry partners know that Jesus is the true standard of living. They know that in him we find all we need, and then our base of contentment is on him. Paul learned to weather these storms of life. He had, and then he didn't have. He had, he didn't have. Have you? Like, really, think about it. Have you weathered the storms of life, focusing on Jesus being the true standard of living? There's no limit to what he can do, no boundaries to his strength. It says, in him who strengthens me. So think about that. Is he the source of your strength? Is he the one that when you have nothing left, he's right there keeping you strong through the circumstance? Is he the one that you're praying that the conflict that you're dealing with, that you're walking into a room that you don't want to walk into and you're afraid to walk into? Are you praying before you go in, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can be content in whatever happens, but please use me in this moment. Are we that desperate? Because that's what ministry partners do. They focus entirely on Jesus being the true standard of living. And Paul says this about him, right? First three verses here, four verses. And he goes and he continues through the end of chapter four talking about how they partnered with him. And I think this, is, this, this follow-up, this next verse is incredibly powerful. So if you read with me, starting in verse 14, read along with me, follow along. It says, right after he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens him, through him who strengthens me, it says, yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. Wow. Most of us want to say that to someone else someday. Thank you so much. It's so kind of you. You noticed me on the side of the road and I needed a tire changed. You noticed that all of a sudden I didn't have a job and I didn't even tell you and you looked for work for me. It was kind of you to share in my trouble. And it continues, and you Philippians yourselves know that at the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me my helps or help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. And I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. The church partnered with Paul. They were kind and shared in his trouble. What can we get from that? Ministry partners are kind. I shared last week a little bit about my, my kids and how they use the word rude, I believe. And so my kids use rude for anything. Daddy, you didn't let me get fruit snacks. Rude. I shared that a little bit. Rude is the opposite of kind. <laughs> and so I'm like, but I'm being kind because you're going to get a tummy ache. You know, like, 
There's some realities. You're kind. Always out of context with my kids. But we should not be rude. God replaces rudeness with kindness. That's what happens with ministry partners. Romans 2.4 tells us God's kindness leads to our repentance. If you're kind to someone that you consider an enemy, they're going to eventually feel convicted. It may be 10 years down the road, but they'll feel convicted. Ministry partners also share in trouble. I know, it sounds weird, share in trouble. Anyone got their like, 13-year-old self like, ooh, trouble, share in trouble. Paul was being ran out of villages, towns, cities, and people wanted to murder him. People wanted to kill him, and the Philippians shared in his trouble by giving resources, by giving their time, by giving their finances, because they knew he was preaching the gospel, and people were getting saved all over the world. They believed in Jesus, so they shared in that trouble. When the going gets hard, they continue to share in their trouble. They share resources. It says they, they, they received in giving. There was this reciprocal relationship. Ministry partners share resources. You have something I need? Okay, hey, borrow this or go back and forth. Or maybe I just give it to you because I don't need it. How many things are sitting in our houses and garages that we never use that we bought for a one-time purpose? My biggest pet peeve, so this is going to make me sound really, really bad, so I'll just say it, is wedding dresses, right? Okay, all you men out there, can shake your heads, but wedding dress, you wear them once. What's the purpose? It's great that day, but if it's like $10,000, you can't sell it on the black market. You know, there's like, there's not really a wedding dress exchange. There is kind of, but my wife actually, what's funny is, speaking of that, my wife used a dress that had been used four times. So it was kind of weird, like, but we changed it, you know, and so you share resources the Philippians were who? They were the only partners. They were the only people to partner with him at the, at the beginning. They were the only people to partner with him. Why? Because ministry partners are early adopters. When they see God doing something, they want to be a part of it. They don't wait. They don't, they're, they're the perfect people for marketing people in the world. Like, if you're an early adopter, you go out and buy every little gizmo. Well, we want you to do that with Jesus, and we want you to share resources right away and say, hey, I'm an early adopter. I see this is something good and this is reaching people, and I want to be a part of that. That's what ministry partners do. They're people of action. The church sent him help more than once. They didn't stop because ministry partners are consistent. They are consistent. They don't, they don't forget things. They don't partner and forget because there's a distance. You know, I have friends that I've met all over the world but have I been all over the world? No, but I've got friends all over the world because of Jesus. I've got people I've met that are now in countries all over. And each of us have an opportunity because it doesn't matter the distance, we're praying, we're giving, and we're serving. So Paul does a massive pivot here in this passage in verse 17. He says something that I think we, we would miss if you've heard the earlier part of this. He doesn't seek material gifts but the spiritual fruit from doing ministry. And maybe you're not familiar with this term fruit. Why would I grow fruit? I, I used to, as a kid, I had, my parents would tell me if I swallowed watermelon seeds, a watermelon would grow my stomach. Scary thought, okay? I'm not growing fruit inside of me. It's, it's not gonna happen, in case there's any kids that still believe that, sorry. 
The analogy is used many times to, to talk about fruit that we produce. So it's something that comes out of us. Fruit is produced like fruits produced from a tree. An orange tree cannot produce apples. A apple tree cannot produce oranges. And so if, you, if you're not believing in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you cannot produce spiritual fruit. It's really, it's pretty common sense. It makes sense. We cannot be something that we're not. And so Paul just says, hey, you've given to me, but guess what? Even though you've given resources, what's more important? The fruit that is a result of that. And I'm crediting that to you, Philippian church, because you gave from day one. He pivots again in verse 18. He said, I received it all I needed and more. He was well supplied. We discovered last week that ministry partners make personal sacrifices. And when they make personal sacrifices, ministry happens exponentially. It starts, God starts doing some crazy, crazy things. Resources given allowed fruit to happen. When there's more resources, more opportunity. More resources, more opportunity. It's as simple as that. And I have a question I, I keep having for myself each and every day. I'm just going to go for the jugular, guys. So why am I not giving more? Why am I holding back? What, what am I, why am I not giving more of my time? Why am I not giving more of my talents? Why am I not giving more of my treasure? And as a pastor, the hardest thing with that is you need to balance your church, like what you do at church, with your family. Because people that have poor family lives, they don't, they're not pastors long. It doesn't work. And so how, why am I not giving more? And what does that even mean? Let me boil it down to this. What resources brought the gospel to you? What resources brought the gospel to you? What, what was the good news? How did you hear the good news? Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was in a church service. Maybe it was your family members shared with you. What resources brought the gospel to you? What allowed them to do that? When we assemble together, there's a lot of things, but guess what? It's not entirely financial. It's like, hey, I'm great at this, but I've never used that in the church. That's like saying, well, God gave me this gift, but I really don't feel like I need to use it where he's asked me to use it. So what's holding you back from giving your time by serving? Or maybe what's holding you back from giving financially? What, I mean, I can say for a fact that I know what it's like to be very poor, and I know what it's like to have. I didn't grow up in a house where we had a lot. I grew up in a house where my parents were constantly refinancing because they couldn't afford anything. We're constantly in debt. I, I, knew, I knew what was going on behind the scenes, and I know what it's like to have nothing. My dad used to have this term. He would say uh, FHB, which I don't know if any of you guys ever use this. I've shared this before, but FHB, family hold back. <laughs> because we'd invite people over and there wouldn't be enough food. You know what that's like as a child? Like, we don't have enough food. Oh, where's the food coming from? Is there granola bars? What's going on? You know, I'm a, my mind's running. Family hold back. Don't eat the food because the guests need to eat. It's funny, isn't it? It's like, it's like really. So you know what it's like to have nothing. You know what it's like to have something. So the reality is, no matter what you have, you realize God's blessed you with what you have, even if it means you leave here this morning and you're eating ramen. God has given you something. So what is holding you back to, uh, from using your talents to help the kingdom of God? Didn't God first give you those talents? Didn't God first bring you 
to be a part of his church. Paul continues by thanking the church for their sacrifice, for their sacrifice that was pleasing to God. The Bible talks a lot about a sweet aroma. You know, in my house, there's two aromas because I've got potty training kids, okay? And so I'll let you, I won't talk about one, but the other is like when we put essential oils in another room and it's like you go from like one room to the next and you're like, whoa, maybe the essential oil smelled really good, right? Because when you're in the other room, it stinks. What aroma are you giving off? Is it pleasing to God? Is it, he's thankful for partnership. So ministry partners are thankful for partnership. That pleasing aroma, he's thankful for. And so Paul says this, that he is thankful for the sacrifices of others, for the gifts of others, for the gift that God has given them through his church. So who is going to supply the every need of this church, of any church? What the church needs, God is. God will supply all of our needs because of what? It says right there, the riches found in Christ Jesus. Who receives all the glory? God does. If things are happening well here, you shouldn't be looking at me. You should be looking up at that cross because Jesus died for you. It has nothing to do with a pastor or a speaker or anything that's going on in front of you. It has everything to do with God. Ministry partners know that God is the one that supplies all they have. Everything. God supplies everything you have. And we're talking about what I, what I call like soft skills, like things that God has ingrained in you. Your, 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 your talents, your ability to speak to people, the way that you, you can encourage others, or, or maybe it's even uh, ways that you can deal with conflict. Maybe you're good at that. There's so many things that each one of us is good at. But ministry partners know that God is the one that supplies all they have because Jesus is the true standard of living. He's the true standard of living. And if, he, and if a ministry partner doesn't know that, if, you, if, you, if you're looking at, I want to partner in ministry with Sunlight Community Church or I want to partner just in ministry in general, if you don't know that Jesus is the true standard of living, that he's the one that supplies all you need, you're on the wrong track. Because God supplies every need spiritually through Jesus Christ. And because of this promise, ministry partners proactively give time, give talents, and treasure back to the bride of Jesus Christ, the church. Give it all. I was told a phrase as a kid that I think embodies what we need to do as ministry partners. A plan to, or a, a failure to plan is a plan to fail. You guys ever hear this? My parents told me this all the time. Failure to plan is a plan to fail. Be proactive rather than reactive. The church in Philippi, the, the, the Philippian church, they partnered with Paul from the beginning because they were proactive. They saw that God was doing something, so they just stepped in when he needed it. They didn't wait they didn't react to when he sent him a letter like, I don't have anything I need. Paul wouldn't have done that from what we've read. They stepped in. They were, they were just willing to do that because they knew him. They knew what he needed. They didn't wait for him to say it. So last week we, we learned another thing, that ministry partners are bonded by serving together. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite a dear friend up here Bill, Bill's going to come up here. Bill Church. 
We're going to have a, kind of a short little interview. He's going to tell his story. But the Philippian church partnered with Paul. And they chose to partner with Paul because they saw what God was doing. And that's the same thing that can happen here, is you can partner with us together. And I, Bill's, some of you know Bill because you were in middle school and he was the middle school principal. So if you see him up here and you have nightmares about middle school principal office, just, just forget all that and just think of Bill as everyone else. And Bill's going to tell a little bit of his story about sunlight and his time here. Well, okay. Good morning, everyone. Um, 20 years ago, when I still had a little bit of hair, <laughs> we started to come to sunlight. And I was excited about it. It was an exciting time in the history of Sunlight Church. Right away, I went to class to become a ministry partner. Uh, served up here on this stage uh, with a team of singers for 10 years. Um, I was a deacon. I taught a class in caring and uh, it became an elder. Well, over the course of the history of the church, uh, there was some turmoil. And in that, I got hurt. I got wounded. And I decided to unplug. And so I moved over here to the fourth or fifth row on this side for 10 years. 10 years. And I wasn't a ministry partner. I was a ministry observer. And I want you to know, God just kept convicting me. And every Sunday, I, there was a hole in my heart and in my life. <laughs> I just couldn't get it filled. And I wanted to get back involved. I wanted to get replugged in. But I never knew who was going to be up here. <laughs> Pastors changed. Worship leaders changed. And I felt like, I don't know, did you ever jump rope and you got two people making that rope go? And you're out here and you're looking for the timing to get in. And I, that's how I felt. I, I just felt like I was looking for the right time to get reconnected and be a ministry partner again. And something kind of interesting happened. I got a call from an elder, from Neil Frank, at home. And he said, hey, you got any thoughts or ideas about how we can improve things at church? Well, I'll tell you what, I didn't. But I got a call from someone who asked me, me, and I suddenly felt valued. It's a big deal. And I started to think, well, maybe, maybe this might be the time. I uh, had a very difficult back surgery in, in July. And both pastors, Aaron and John, put their hands on me and prayed for me. That's a powerful experience, powerful. Both the elders came to the hospital and prayed over me before I had that surgery. The surgery went well. I'm still cripping around a little bit, but it went okay. And then we got a call from Jen Robinson. She said, would you like to join our small group? Boy, we're getting, we're getting invited back in. 
it's, it was a big deal. I guess I don't think I could have maybe jumped in on my own. I needed that. I needed that nudge. I needed somebody to say, come on. Come on, we need you with us. I've been helping John in, in sermon prep. And I, and I want you to know, you know, this ministry, ministry partner thing is a big deal. I, I'm involved again. I want to encourage all of you to get involved if you're not. You know, you have the seeds, God given you the seeds, but if you don't put them in the soil, you won't reap a harvest. So I just want to encourage you today to do that. And that's kind of a short version of my story. <laughs> Bill, thank you for sharing. So Bill shared his story with us a few months ago, and he really, really shared his heart with us, and I knew this was the perfect Sunday to share about this, because one of the things that we value highly here is that ministry partners are given the opportunity to serve. And many of you say, I don't know who to talk to, and if I was to talk to someone, it's going to be Pastor John, Pastor Aaron. And so this morning, right after service, we have an opportunity because there's tables out in the atrium. There's people that can answer questions. Maybe you don't make a decision this week, so we'll have the tables out there for a few weeks. But we want ministry partners to be actively serving. Some of that, may you may see something, you're like, I want to serve in this way, and I don't see it on the table. Write it down. Talk to someone, please. Because God, the, the body of Christ is a lot broader than we think it is sometimes. There's a lot of things that we can do. There's a few things that Bill shared that I just think I feel definitely that God needed us to know this morning. doesn't matter how long or how short you've been at Sunlight. This is an active invitation. I am personally asking you to find a way to serve in some way. Maybe the people that you end up serving with become your best friends for the next 30 years. Maybe, maybe you, you, you feel like Bill did. He was here 19 years, he shared the other night, before he was in a life group. 19 years before he got shoulder tapped and said, hey, come to a life group. Maybe you've been waiting for something. Well, now's the time. Now is the opportunity this morning. Go in the atrium. Talk to people that are behind the tables that are asking. This is the morning we're giving you an opportunity to become more connected in that way. And we'll have the tables out there, like I said, for a few weeks.